0: Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever. Amen. You be seated. Well, I have kind of a sad announcement to make, and that is, my watch has died for the second time. I'm done with that watch, done with it. It has died, and so I am without today. So that's the sad announcement for you, although I don't care what time it is, and you know that. It's for you, not me. There are three things that I do hope to get through this morning, though, in our time together, and that is to be able to briefly introduce our time for the next few weeks in the Lord's Prayer. There are three things that I hope to do. Number one, give you a brief introduction into the burden of why the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Maybe you already know the answer to that, and uh, maybe you don't. Either way, together together. Let us think for a portion of our time this morning on where does the burden come from for a pastor or a church or individual believers to keep before himself, keep before ourselves the Lord's Prayer. Where does the burden come from? You see, the lights have been turned on. Second portion that I would like to say is a little bit in our time together is a brief word of encouragement regarding the application of our time, exploring, thinking through the Lord's Prayer. So a brief word of kind of pastor to congregant encouragement of, okay, we're, we're spending some time here in the Lord's Prayer. I want to lay before you why. Secondly, then the why moves to an application of what do we do with it? What, what's, how do we gain and profit applicationally for our time? or perhaps congregant to pastor. What is your expectation for our time in the Lord's Prayer? What is your goal for us or for yourself in this study of the Lord's Prayer? So one, the burden. Two, the application or encouragement. And then third is just a brief introduction into the situation that gave rise to the Lord's Prayer. And that will come from Luke chapter 11, and then we'll spend some time for the next few weeks preaching on that very prayer from Matthew 6. So if I could jump to number one, a brief introduction to the importance of the Lord's Prayer. J.I. Packer, maybe some of you know of him, he is what many consider to be the last living Puritan among us. You know, historically, the Puritans are long gone. Somehow, a DNA strand did indeed exist, and J.I. Packer is the last one. He writes on devotions and theology quite often, and we have a few of his resources here that we would highly recommend. I cite him here as he speaks of the appropriateness of the Lord's Prayer. Three venerable formulae together add up to Christianity. The Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. These summarizing respectively the Christian way of believing, behaving, and communing with God. The Lord's Prayer, in particular, is a marvel of compression and full of meaning. It is a compendium of the gospel, says Tertullian. It is a body of divinity, says Thomas Watson. It is a rule of purpose, as well as of petition. And thus, this is puritanical of him, his sentences are very long. And thus, a key, to the whole business of living. What it means, this is very high, to speak of the Lord's Prayer in such a way. What it means to be a Christian is nowhere clearer than here. I pause right there with that brief introduction to say, hopefully you will believe me when I do say to you, He is not the only one to speak so highly Of the Lord's Prayer and its function in the church. With those high words though. Then I would ask you. Have you ever as you sit and ponder those high thoughts. He says it is a rule of purpose. It is a key to the whole business of living. When you think of all the various passages in the text of scripture. How is it that he would say along with others. It is what it means to be a Christian. Is no more. Clearer anywhere than it is here. Have you ever then individually sat and pondered the Lord's Prayer? If you think in my last 10 years as a believer, how often have I sat and pondered the meaning and the expression, the compression, yet the fullness of meaning of the Lord's Prayer? So perhaps there's something too equal. Either Packer's overstating it, Or perhaps we're not considering it. Where are we at? Is it just, well, we'll let him slide and then we'll remain? Let's think for just a minute. Even if we could take Packer's language and tone it down a couple of steps, are we right there? Do we think of the Lord's Prayer? Have you ever I would ask furthermore have you ever considered that the Lord's prayer is a pattern? Have you even given thought that the Lord's pattern or the Lord's prayer is a pattern for all Christian prayer? You're a praying people. Have you thought that it is a pattern, a structure for all Christian prayer? Me being a Christian, therefore a pattern for my prayers. If you have, you say, sure, I sure have. In reading through the Gospels, I've recognized its place in Luke. I've seen its prominence in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Well, then let me ask you, have you memorized it? Have you used it in communing with God? Again, either Packer's overstating it, or we're woefully neglecting it. Or the truth is somewhere we come up and maybe tone Packer down. The point is, we're in the discussion. Have we memorized it? I remember when I was about, I can't remember the age exactly, I was probably 11 or 12. I don't think I was quite... I think I was a a tween somewhere around there. When somebody uh, was kind of playing the Captain Obvious role in, you know, your youth group kind of setting and said, why don't we pray the way that Jesus told us how to pray? And me, not really reading my Bible at 11 years old, didn't know that there was a way in which Jesus instructed us how to pray. And so the young boy who was in youth group proceeded to say, this is what it says. And I remember, to this day I'm 34 now, and I remember thinking, so from 34 to here, that obviously was quite shocking to me. Jesus told us how to pray, and I've never one time thought about that. I've never prayed that. I wonder if I should be praying that. Doesn't it seem quite obvious that if you said, pray like this, I ought to pray like that? Why am I praying like this? Perhaps at 11, why am I not praying at all? Unfortunately, I'm not alone. Many of us have not rightly grasped or been reared upon the importance of the Lord's Prayer. We have not, even in our adult lives, understood its purpose its function, considered it, memorized it, applied it. Therefore, neither have we enjoyed it. Neither have we experienced its richness, its beauty, and its power. As we would commune with God. If I could add to that persuasion from Packer in the introduction, historically, It's important for us to be aware of that, that historically the church has insisted, and that is not too strong of a term, the church has insisted on the importance and prominence of the Lord's prayer in teaching, in its practice, in private and in public worship. Would you then wonder currently why we hear so little of it? The church has insisted. Nowhere is this more clearly evident, if I could back that assertion up historically into the present, if I could say nowhere is that more clearly evident than what are called the four main features or the four pillars of, catechetical instruction. I know evangelicals tend to get squeamish when we talk about catechesis or catechisms. We tend to think, what's going on here? Some sort of forced formed religion? So maybe that is at some point historically we can see the deterioration of actual instruction in church, in the home. But if we were to consider historically, which is appropriate, how the church has always insisted on the importance of the Lord's Prayer. We're not doing something brand new. The four main structures or fixtures of catechetical instruction are this. And we could date them all the way back. I don't mean to bog you in the details, but I can tell you really want to know. So, for your sake. If we could take these four fixtures and find them rooted as early as the mid-fourth century, the church instructed, taught, elaborated on, and applied the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Sacraments. It's not that the Lord's Prayer is somehow over here in a passage that applies historically perhaps only to Old Testament Israelites. The church has always insisted this is given to the church, to the people of God in every dispensation. These four main fixtures, the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer and the sacraments. This includes, might I bore you a little more with detail. It includes a few catechisms that maybe you might have heard from. Maybe you've been taught through growing up. Maybe you read them now, I hope. Luther's catechism. Calvin's first catechism. Geneva's catechism. Guess what? Made the list. Heidelberg, catechism. Westminster, larger and shorter catechism. Anglican, catechism. The Catholic catechism. And if we could add to that, the new city catechism. I'm not ready to anoint it with that kind of aged popularity. Nonetheless, it is a helpful modern version of the older catechisms. And that is the new city, which we have had the privilege and opportunity to to go through here at Redeemer. And it too. Includes the Lord's Prayer. This is one of the four main fixtures. When pastors. looked to their congregation. And thought of what we now call. Discipleship. They looked to teach and instruct. On what? Just open your Bible and kind of be like. We'll start here. There was a method. To what is known as the madness. And it is these Four. Basic structures. Here we are yet in the modern church most often and how many times have we heard the Lord's prayer. We probably wouldn't place it among the one of the four top things we hear at church or that we use in our lives or we speak on at home. Speaking to this rationale of the four main things that the church collectively set about in catechetical instruction. What must the church know about believing, behaving, and communing with God? What? These four things. Speaking of this rationale, where this came from, Pastor Eugene Peterson comments this way. The Lord's Prayer is the church's primary text backed up by the psalms for guiding christians into a life of personal honest and mature prayer the lord's prayer helps the believer this is this is this is i wrote this out because i'm convinced it's true and this is my attempt with you The Lord's prayer helps the believer in his or her communion with God and is thus a sort of primer on prayer. That's what it is. It will assist, aid, help, strengthen, and guide our prayer times. Individually and corporately. And this is not new or novel or something neat or different. This is simple church, historically, and it is applicable to Redeemer as God's people. For section two this morning with you, just by way of brief introduction to prove its worth and its time to us and our attention for the next few weeks, point two beyond introduction is my word of encouragement to you. If you would, with me, together as a church family, I would like to encourage you to spend some time throughout the next few weeks. Each time we commit, after the Lord's Prayer, it looks calendar-wise in the preaching calendar that we'll be moving into the book of Ruth. As we're moving forward in that time, what would be appropriate for us during those times would be to do what? Together, to be reading Ruth. W- what's profitable for our learning and instructing and our hearing on Lord's Day worship, the book of Hebrews? Reading the book of Hebrews. There's no surprise. I won't spring on you a brand new text that morning and say, my word, I didn't know we were going to talk on this. I had no idea. I wish I had. I would have looked at it. I would have read it. Great. We're very predictable. Read ahead. So along with that same encouragement, as given over to any book and our time in it, I would like to encourage you to please consider reading and thoughtfully applying and even memorizing the Lord's Prayer. Incorporate the Lord's Prayer. For as we know with all facts, theologically, biblically, it's not enough to simply memorize and know. It isn't. It isn't like reciting or memorizing the Lord's Prayer is now somehow a a magic formula to guarantee being heard. It isn't that, hey, if we'll just commit this to memory, you know we're in. He can't deny himself, and we're saying what he says, so hey, we'll finally be heard. So, you know, we ought to just dash a little Lord's Prayer on everything we really want. It isn't that way at all. Memorizing it, considering it, reciting it, praying it, isn't a magic formula. It still is a matter of the heart and its appropriateness and it's verbiage, and it's deeper consideration. So I'm not asking for each of us to memorize it, to check our list, and no longer be those, you know, evangelicals that don't. Let's apply it. Let's learn it. Let's memorize it. Let's incorporate it regularly, as was intended for the people of God. For the next few weeks, I hope through our time in the next few weeks, you'll be so energized and convinced that it will just continue to serve you for the rest of your life as a believer in knowing, considering, applying, incorporating the theology present in the Lord's Prayer. There are three areas that I would ask you to consider in incorporating it or memorizing it, speaking on it. Three areas of encouragement that I have. Just real brief, just one. Number one, please consider the Lord's prayer in your own individual devotion. This is coming from the consideration. I would ask you to consider in your mind the disciples' comment we'll see in just a moment from Luke 11. Lord, teach us to pray. So so for you, individually as you consider in the next few weeks as we go phrase by phrase and we exposit and expound upon these phrases what the theology is that's present what's appropriate for us to adapt from that how then we go forward from there consider the question in your own mind lord teach me to pray so first encouragement in your own devotion ask the lord teach me to pray number two second point of encouragement for us as i hope to encourage you through the preaching of the word in our time in the lord's prayer is your family's instruction family instruction i would encourage you if you have little ones or you have teenagers or anyone under your care some of you have adults Under your care still. So, to think. Encourage one another. Let's memorize the Lord's prayer together. Teach the little ones. You know, one of the things that uh, is important for all of us in every area of life, isn't it? It's kind of just simple wisdom that uh, I think our our parents or or, or folks that have raised us um, have said, you know, I think the common phrase is you need to crawl before you walk. Right, I mean that, that that's applied across the board to almost every single thing you do, as someone kind of pats you on the head about whatever it was you attempted to do and failed. The idea is you got to crawl before you walk. So, two, when you think theologically or you think biblically, you think again this is an appropriate place in my communion with God as I learn to kind of crawl. And and I, and I set about these building blocks for little ones. For 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 our family, it, it applies as well that the little ones. We have them memorize the Lord's Prayer and then use the Lord's Prayer, recite the Lord's Prayer. As, again, that convention then serves them to structure their prayers. Hey, bud, do you realize that prayer involves God's concerns before yours? Right there, boom! It's already structuring a child's mind in the way in which they ought be concerned. My concern ought be the Lord and His will, His kingdom before my own. And you can learn that. So please consider number two, an encouragement. Instruct those under your care. As a family, memorize the Lord's Prayer. Number three, this is what Dan made an announcement for earlier. And that is, as our church family together. Make an effort. We have set aside this time in the Lord's Prayer as we teach on it to create outlets of corporate prayer together. So that, again, as uh, we come, it's not a checklist like, okay, we'll walk around the groups and listen for, like, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and make sure everybody's using the Lord's Prayer. The idea is to come together and be a praying people. Uh, There's a season set aside here to just create opportunities to corporately be together and to pray Well-structured prayers, ones that just simply reflect the theology present, that we're seeking the Lord's glory. And we want that to be manifest here at Redeemer, and uh, His kingdom to come, His will indeed to be done. And so, uh, please, the third encouragement is as a church together, let's join for worship in prayer. So this will be set aside starting January 11th, We'll have two time slots. For some, it might be uh, functionally easier to execute a time of prayer with those in the body immediately following the service. For others, it'll be, hey, we want to go eat and then come back in the evening. What, however that is structured best, we want to provide two outlets to accomplish the effort of worship and prayer as we give our time for a season here. To the Lord's Prayer. I think the times, uh, twelve thirty, and five. Those are the two time slots beginning next Sunday, twelve thirty and five. Please consider, um, as this lasts, how many weeks do we set? Is it six or is it five? Five or six weeks. Please consider joining corporately for a season of prayer emphasis here as we explore the Lord's Prayer. Finally, in this encouragement. Let us consider together for the next few weeks that Jesus is teaching us the theology, grammar, and vocabulary appropriate to speaking with God. Is the Lord's Prayer a helpful, helpful convention for your prayer life? To kind of take what is kind of a bit wandering and a bit abstract and kind of create a thread or a form for you to kind of insert it into this form and create there some sort of momentum for yourself in your prayer life. Calvin comments this way. For God prescribed a form for us in which He set forth as in a table all that He allows us to seek of Him. All that is of benefit unto us and all that we need to ask, from this kindness of His, we receive great fruit of consolation. So again, now's not insert eye roll. Now is to think, fruit, what do I receive? Again, evangelicals can tend to be a bit skittish. And what they perceive to be maybe liturgy or just forced formed religion. Consider instead what Calvin calls the fruit of consolation that comes from this. Not eye roll. Not liturgy. Not form imposed. But fruit of consolation. What is the fruit of consolation given me in the Lord's prayer? In memorizing it. In using it. In considering it. In teaching it to my little ones. What is the fruit of consolation, and that is this, that we know we are requesting nothing absurd, nothing strange or unseemly, in short, nothing unacceptable to him, since we are asking almost in his very words. That is a fruit of consolation and considering more thoroughly the Lord's Prayer. Finally, our third portion, beyond intro, beyond encouragement, and that is a brief consideration from the text of Scripture. If you have your text of Scripture, and I do mean brief, we're not starting segment four that will last a long portion. Briefly, considering Luke 11, if you have your text of Scripture, please, I want to read this text just briefly, and then note three obvious things that emerge from this passage regarding prayer in general, and we'll see certainly in the Lord's Prayer specifically. Luke chapter 11, if I begin in verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, I have nothing set before him, and he will answer from within, don't bother me, the door is now shut, my children are with me in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything, because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? There's a lot going on here in the text. I wish to just make three basic observations regarding prayer in general, and again, specifically the Lord's Prayer. Number one, a strong prayer life. These are three brief uh, observations. Number one, a strong prayer life is transformational. How do I see that? Two basic examples stand out if we pay close attention to the text. Notice verse 1. Jesus was praying. And then follow that with the second example as the disciples speak at the end of verse 1 as John taught his disciples. That is, we have two observations here or two examples here of a strong life being transformative. The disciples clearly determined there was a link between Jesus' extraordinary prayer life and His extraordinary character, life, and ministry. There's much to be said of the Lord's prayer life. If you read through the Gospel accounts, His time in prayer, His secret away time to simply pour out His heart in prayer. There's much there, and the disciples clearly witnessed it. And after Jesus was praying, right? So, so here, take yourself to the scene and consider how they made a link between what Jesus was doing there and the life that he lived in front of them. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, do you see? They established and determined a very clear link with the transformational power of prayer in the life, ministry, and character of Jesus. So they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They also considered it somehow evidenced in the ministry of John the Baptist and the disciples who followed not only John, but followed John most likely onto Christ. There is a transformational power. That goes with prayer and the disciples witnessed it and asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Have you ever had one of those situations where you went to a prayer meeting and maybe as a younger person, you kind of broke up into groups or as the prayer meeting was structured and you were with an older saint at the time, or you've heard people pray before and you thought to yourself, that person really communes with God. You ever had that experience? And you witnessed it firsthand. You were there. You were like, there's something markedly different, which can be very dangerous to do. Nonetheless, in basic observation, you witnessed there is something of power in that person's prayer life. Perhaps you thought, Lord, teach me to pray. So it is, as the disciples saw, that a strong prayer life is transformational. The second basic observation from the text that I'd like to make and establish here generally in all of prayer, but then certainly zero in in our time in the Lord's Prayer. Number two, a strong prayer life is a family privilege. A strong prayer life is a family privilege. How do I get there? The simple privileged address that we'll expound upon in our time in Matthew 6, verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, or as Matthew 6 says, our Father. That is, what is of Christ's by nature, sonship, He is God's, and all the privileges that go with it. What is of Christ's by nature is given to each of us by adoption. No one, under any circumstance, outside of being adopted as a child of God, through grace in Christ, can address God as Father. John 1, where the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, verse 12 says this of Christ, To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, that's you, He gave the right to become children of God. What is Christ's by nature is given to us by benefit of adoption. A strong prayer life is a family privilege. I can't help but it's really maybe perhaps not a funny comment. As much as I don't know if you saw the footage of that plane maybe uh, three weeks ago that experienced just what felt like to be incredible amounts of turbulence, a passenger plane, a large passenger plane went through very hard turbulence, and the, f- the, the plane was jostling back and forth, bouncing back and forth. All the stuff was falling out. You know, it, it just It was a terrifying few seconds there. Somehow, of course, in our day and age, someone, the first thing you do is get your cell phone out and record it. I, I, somehow, I mean, if there was a nuclear explosion before you run, you get your phone out and you film it. That's just the way that it rolls and where we're at nowadays. So though it's chaos and the cabins are busting open and things are falling out, someone's running the phone and shooting it into the, to, the, to the news. And I don't know if you saw the footage, but as chaos was erupting in the plane, how many prayers did you hear in the background a lot of them it was interesting I don't know there could have been believers present I'm not saying there weren't I I just thought it was an interesting background noise that we were doing probably a-okay while the plane was up in the air But thought of it going down everyone becomes a believer a strong prayer life is a family privilege. You are heard because you belong. And this by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Third portion and third observation I want to make here simply this morning about prayer in general and more specifically to the Lord's prayer, it is this. A strong prayer life is a rightly ordered prayer life. A strong prayer life a rightly ordered prayer life. What do I mean by that? We'll consider the structure of the Lord's prayer that Jesus gives to us of a well-structured prayer life. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. As we look at uh, uh, Matthew's version of how Matthew wrote it out, he'll add in there the, the, the more regular reading, and that is, your will be done. That, that third phrase there, Luke kind of gives a shorter kind of curt version. But uh, as we look at what is provided through Matthew there in the expanded version there, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And my point is this, a well-structured prayer. And this is what I hope to get, even if we give it to the little ones in each of us. A well-structured prayer concerns God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will before it expresses concern for ourselves and our needs. Your name your kingdom, and your will. Before it gets to give me, hallowed your name. A strong prayer life is a rightly ordered prayer life. Let us consider more deeply for the next few weeks that Jesus is teaching us the theology, grammar, and vocabulary appropriate to speaking and communing with God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here in this ministry,